this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, it's 2020, our first episode of our 10th season. Dun, 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 dun. It kind of worked out nice. I didn't realize we started in... Uh... You know, 2010, so we can make Nope, 2011. Oh, I see. Okay. So we're off by one. Okay. Right. Well, here's the thing. There's a huge... I see this debate on Twitter. There's no year zero. The first calendar year is one. So technically, decades start on the one, not on the zero. Technically, the zero is the last... Now, I think that's dumb because there was time before the first calendar year right things existed yeah. more than 2020 years ago we just didn't yes. keep we just didn't keep this current calendar system so if you yeah, think I'm about a decade like the 2000s didn't start in 2001 they started in 2000 they started when the the number 2 was incorporated so to the, pen, the, right the pedantic people out there suck it it's the 2020s all I know is the maybe the best thing I did in my life was have my daughter. We had our daughter on 2010, which makes the math easy. <laughs> oh yeah, and I I wish I would have gotten married on in like 2000 or 2010, because <laughs> then you just you just always know. You know what I'm talking about. Well, both of my parents were born in 1950. See, that makes it so much easier. So I always know when what their what their birthday exactly. is. Exactly. Exactly. At least their year. I mean. Yeah. Sometimes I forget you can the exact the, dates, but you can do the math quickly. Right, exactly. Exactly. Everything in my life I cannot do the math quickly except for her birth her her age and birthday because that I can make that correlation. I know. I was born on a I have a 74, so there's yeah. always like weird math. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Oh. So what are we going to do? We're going to incorporate um all numbers will be just by fives. There's no I more wish. no more one one through ten. It's just zero, five, ten, fifteen, twenty. That's how we're oh, doing it. Why can't the world work like that? Jay, for our first episode, since we are a patron driven podcast, it makes sense that our first episode was selected by our patrons over at Patreon.com. Dig, Dig me out podcast is made possible by your donations. Exactly. We take no advertising. You can get this tote bag. Do we have tote bags, Jay? We should have tote bags. <laughs> We don't. We have t-shirts, but not tote bags. We're going to have this concert, this DVD of Mannheim Steamroller from 1986. <laughs> for Playing your holiday classic. We had a poll in December. It went to a runoff. It was tied. The main poll was tied. It went to a runoff. And we got a winner. And I'll be quite honest, nobody talked about the winner. This is mind-blowing. It. So I'm going to give you the, the original list. This is yeah. the original list from December. These are the bands. Eight albums. Sausage. Riddles are abound tonight. Tons of Facebook comments on yep. this one. 
Azoko Loco. No, sorry. That was the person who selected it. Gary Moran selected sausage. Azoko Loco submitted the giraffes, 13 other dimensions. Tommy, one name, Fatima Mansions, Viva Dead Ponies. Dylan Wells selected Portostatic, Slow Note from a Sinking Ship. Patrick Testa, The Family Cat, Magic Happens. Jason Baker selected Elliot Smith's XO. Matt Gorey submitted Skunk Annecy. Post-Orgasmic Chill, and Mike Bankheads submitted Candy Skins, Death of a Minor TV Celebrity. So, it, this a was minute, a... F- wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This band, where I pronounce it Skunk and Nancy. Okay. It's like... <laughs> I've never heard anybody say, what, what did you just say? Skunk Annecy? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm right, but now you're making me doubt it. We're going to sound like idiots this whole podcast if we can't get it right. How do you say it? Skunk and Nancy. A Nancy? Yep. I don't know. It's based on the word A-N-A-N-S-I, which Enansi is, is – it's a folktale character, West African, and then they added an E. I don't know, Jay. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Skunk. What? A Nancy. One of us is uh, gonna sound silly. Skunk and Nancy. Is that what you want me want me to say? That's what I've always said. Okay, I've never pronounced it out loud in my life until this podcast. Yeah. So getting back to the yeah. the, the voting, this is the kind this is the kind of shit you deal with when you dig up records that are twenty plus years old. Yeah. No. Sh- no. <laughs> yeah. So it was a tight race. Four artists were basically within two votes of each other. The tie was Candy Skins and Skunk Anansi with seven. Yeah, it's uh, Anansi. I'm looking at. I'm looking up the uh, Anansi. Okay. Yeah. Elliot yeah. Smith six votes. The Giraffes five votes, and then uh, Portostatic three, Sausage two, Family Cat one, Fedo Mansions nothing. So, what? Who would you have guessed would would have, would have won this when you first looked at Elliot it? Smith in a Runaway? Yeah, me too. I thought he'd have thirteen votes, fourteen votes. Yeah. Yeah, but then again, maybe it was the obvious choice, and that's why it didn't win. Then my second thought was Portostatic because it's super chunk adjacent. That's mm-hmm. you know the solo project from Mac. So I thought, oh, well, that would be an interesting one. Sausage was my second vote just because it got so much, uh, so many comments on Facebook. I'm like, oh, a lot of people like this record. Okay, well. Maybe that'll it'll win. It got no. It did nowhere. It, it near. did get some comments. So Eric Peterson said I had to go with Skunk. They always seem like they have a band, a band that were ahead of their time, and their inclusion on the film Strange Days always sticks with me. Scott Witt said going with Skunk, they were something different, interesting. Seemed like everyone wanted to like them more than they did. Kerrang loved them. Plus they did an album with Gary Moore. I didn't know that. Interesting. I didn't know that either. Andrew O.C. went with the Giraffes. He said, um, "So are the Giraffes are." So the drafts are kind of a formative precursor to the work of Casper Baby Pants. I, I okay. Don't, I, don't, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Should we know what Casper Baby Pants is? I don't know. Wow. Okay. Another new band. Never heard of that. Whitney Bueller said, after Nirvana, Sleep, Faith No More, Winning a Poll, I think a little pop sophistication in his order. My, so my vote is for Elliot Smith. I do like the sound a Skunk and Nancy though, always reminds me of Natasha Schneider fronting one of my favorite 90s bands, Eleven. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Dan Goodspeed said, are we allowed to vote for more than one album? I would go with either Elliot Smith or Candy Skins, but I guess if I had to choose, 
I would choose Elliot Smith. We don't promote it, but for those of you listening, yes, you can vote for more than one out of the Yes. Shh, shh, don't tell, don't tell you. Uh, Gary Moran, definitely some interesting choices again. I got to go with sausage, though. I'd love to hear someone else's opinion on it. Jeremy Amen, Exo was the wake up call for the alternative rock world. Grunge was dead and rock was beginning its decline into the faux angst era that marked the end of one of the greatest decades in music history. Elliot showed everyone that subject matter, subject matter, legitimate emotional expression, and clever lyrics they loved could still be found. But now it came with cleaner sounds, lush instrumentation, and a bit of a return to the 70s. Yes, there were some other artists doing much of this already, but no one had the songwriting chops of Mr. Smith. This album still gives me chills. A top 25 album of the decade for certain. There are some others on this list which would be fun to revisit, but this album needs to be discussed at some point. John Seaman said, I voted for the drafts because I was curious about it, but then I noticed it doesn't really have a chance to win, so I voted for Skunk and Nancy because I've always wanted to check them out. The only thing I've heard related to them is the singer's guest appearance on the 1999 Seven Dust album, Home. Her voice is a killer. And she sings the song Licking Cream from that. So we had a tie, Skunk and Nancy, Candy Skins. They went to a runoff. It was close. 60-40. Skunk won. Some comments from this one. Keith Badge said, I voted for Kenny Skins in the first round, but after listening to a bit of Skunk and Nancy linked in the Facebook post, I've changed my mind. Whoa. But I still like Feed It, even though it sounds like a pale imitation of Telecom by Ultra Horse. I guess it's a Candy Skins song that I did not check out. Uh, Jason Pan said, I only discovered the Candy Skins as my daughter got given one of their... One of the children albums Nick Cope is doing these days. It's the lead singer. I was impressed by him in that genre, so I did more research. Mike Bond said, got to go with the candy skins here. There was, with their indie pop meets Beatles sound, they scratch a certain sonic itch in the vein of Jellyfish and the Wanna Dies. And then Jeremy Amen said, I didn't realize that I knew the single from the candy skins album. I always thought it was a song from some spinoff of... F-O-W that I couldn't find. Fountains of Wayne, I guess. That chorus, mm-hmm. especially listening to the full album for the first time. Can't wait to hear you, what you guys think about this one. If Skunk wins, that's cool too. The band always will always make me think of Strange Days. They also had a big single. Not single, but they had a song on the, the Cruel Intentions soundtrack. As I was reminded by my wife when I was playing this album today, she was like, this song was on the Cruel Intentions soundtrack. And I went to their Wikipedia page and it's not mentioned. And I said, are you sure? And she's like, are you doubting me? So I went to the page specifically for that song, and it said it was in the Cruel Intentions movie, and it's on the soundtrack. And I, so I, that's why I don't doubt my wife. Ever. Ever. About that's anything. Good. That's good advice. Yep. So if you picked up a soundtrack, either The Strange Days or Cruel Intentions, you probably heard a Skunk and Nancy song. So those were the votes, Jade. Were you familiar with this band? I was familiar with the name, and that's it. Yeah, I uh, I own one of their albums. Um, I can't figure out which one it is. It's buried in my CD collection somewhere, and I went through the streaming, and I didn't recognize any of them. But I did uh, I did buy one of the records at some point, and was always um, intrigued by them. Very, they're a very um, visual band as well. So mm-hmm. I remember at the time they. You'd be flipping through the magazines or whatnot, and they would really jump out at you. 
So for those not familiar, this band is from London, England, formed around 94. It's basically been the same lineup. Uh, the original drummer was Robbie France for 94, 95. He was replaced by Mark Richardson in 95, which is when they put out their debut album, Paranoid and Sunburnt. The lead singer is Deborah Skin Dyer. She goes by the nickname Skin. She's lead vocalist. She plays guitar and she plays theremin. Martin Ace Kent plays guitar and he does backing vocals. And Richard Cass Lewis plays bass, guitar, and backing vocals. Their second album, Stoosh, came out in, two, in 1996. And then the album we're checking out, Post Orgasmic Chill, 1999. The band then broke up for a while. Skin, or Deborah Dyer, put out a couple solo records. And then the band got together at the end of the 2000s and started playing shows and, and put out a new album in 2010 called Wonder Luster. Uh, another album in 2012 called Black Traffic. And in 2016, they put out Anarchitecture, which is like anarchy and architecture combined. Hard to say, like the band's name. This was a band that got quite a lot of acclaim. I, like you, remember the name being tossed around a lot. Kerrang! Magazine voted them the best new band, best new British band in 1995. They won in 97, or they were nominated for Best Group at the MTV European Movie Awards. Apparently, at some point, Howard Stern in the 90s heard this band and was a big fan. Oh, okay. He said they were going to be huge. Yeah. Which, they, I don't think they were huge here. They've sold like 3 million albums in the UK and in Europe and stuff. But I don't think they yeah. really ever broke through beyond like maybe 120 minutes. Yeah, no. I don't know. Not at all. Not in the US. Nope. So for those of you in the UK listen to us butcher pronouncing the name that's why right <laughs> that just happens there's nothing we can uh we can do we literally to. never heard another human speak the name we've only ever read it so the album that was recorded with gary moore was a solo album that the um bass player recorded called scars it was not with the okay. act, with the band gotcha and then so they're still active i mean they are playing shows they're reissuing stuff on vinyl they put out a live album uh last year you know they're fully active they put out a new single actually this year they're basically they've they followed the actually they followed the failure blueprint in that they put out three albums in the 90s and then they've come back and almost equaled that they've put out three more albums in the 2010s hmm. whereas failures put out two albums in a live album so interesting there was a not as long a break but it, there was a long break between records so let's get into this record, Jay. Tell me one thing you liked about Post Orgasmic Chill by Skunk Anansi. There's a ton of talent in this band. I mean, that's undeniable as you listen to it. It's very, um, it's a very polished record in, in a lot of respects. You know, production-wise, it's punchy, it's loud, uh, it sounds pretty modern. Like I don't think it sounds very dated at all. You know, I think the calling card of the band it mostly is probably the vocal. You know, she can, she's got an amazing range. She can do ballads. She can do like aggressive, you know, um, almost, you know, rage against the machine level kind of, you know, angry rock stuff. So there's a ton of range there vocally. So, you know, she's the, she's the focal point of the band and the Mm -hmm. focus. You know, I like the, 
You know, I like in general what attracted me to the band originally in the 90s when I checked them out was, you know, I like stuff that's right on that line between commercial and a little bit weird. Um, and they're certainly on that line. Mm-hmm. Very ambitious. You know, they, they do a lot of different sounds and textures and instruments. And, you know, the production value is pretty high on the record. Um, stylistically, like I mentioned with the vocals, you know, the music follows suit in terms of, you know, riff heavy stuff that's fuzzy and borderline, you know, aggressive, almost metalish to straight up pop ballads, you know. So I, I enjoy that, you know, kind of living in that pop, big pop world, but trying to, you know, figure out like how to push the boundaries of that. Really what makes them accessible, I think, is just the overall production and presentation, you know, just from a standpoint of, engineering and also just musicianship there's just a ton of really amazing musicians on the, in this band and on this record so you know i think in terms of a contemporary it's kind of like in that i guess foo fighters kind of range but much more i guess uh adventurous maybe mm-hmm. um at least vocally Yeah, I mean, those are some of the things that that I enjoy about it. How about you? There's a lot to enjoy about this record. I wanted to mention Andy Wallace produced this, and you mentioned Rage Against the Machine. He produced, he mixed the first Rage Against the Machine album. Um, He produced Bad Religion, Jeff Buckley. You know, you're talking about a vocal skill. You know, there you go. He produced Blind Melon's Soup. He produced, um, he's mixed a ton of stuff. Primary, actually, that's what he's primarily known for is mixing. Um, and enge- he's done, engineered a lot of stuff as well. He did the Rollins band. So he's got, I mean, he's got a huge career as a yeah. mixer, producer, engineer going through, going basically like three decades. And um, the production on this record is incredible. I mean, they are all over the place. And yep. it can be a little jarring just because, you know, the first song, the introduction of it jumps around from like, I mean, there's like orchestral stuff and then there's like metal and then they do like this breakbeat trip hop thing that's going on. It sounds like yep. Ronnie size and <laughs> it's so 90s in yeah. that sense with yeah, that yeah. with that sound. And they, they do some like extended you know bits at at the ends of songs where they throw in like a little outro with some you know techno sounds or what have you and i would imagine like this probably took a little time to to do in terms of production like you could not do this quickly throwing this all together and yep. um you'd High have to have someone craft. yeah definitely and you can hear that 
this is a band, this sounds like a band on the third record where they were like, we are going to take all the shots. And we're going to write these huge ballads, like, secretly with strings, and they're lush, and her voice sounds amazing. And then we're going to do these angry, aggressive, almost like alternative metal sounding songs and just blistering lyrics on race and sex and just some of the most confrontational lyrics I've probably heard from the decade from a, from a mainstream band that was on a major label. True. Yeah. And it's just a really interesting stew of things that are going on because they're hard to liken to anyone from a musical standpoint. They reminded me a little bit like therapy, that aggressiveness, but with really strong melody. Uh, but her voice skin is just, I mean, there might not be uh, uh, anyone on par that's not in like symphonic Norwegian metal. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like she can just cover all the territory and it's kind of mind-boggling how how diverse this band is. Because there's, like, songs that sound like... Like, when she wants it, she can sound like Sade. <laughs> yeah. and, and do this, like, really, really authentic, soulful ballad. And then also come across as a, a punk metal whatever, yeah. you know, they want to do. And do it in ways that are very edgy. So I just, I, just this, the ride of this album, it's a long record, but it's a really interesting listen all the way through, especially, this is a headphone record, I mm. think, because yeah. I was hearing like little piano parts here and there, and then she's playing theremin, so there's these theremin things going on in bits and pieces, and there's layered guitars, and you know, like I said, there's like drum loops that are you know, there's, there's live drums and then there's loop drums and all this stuff's going on. So if you put on the headphones, you can definitely pick up on a lot of stuff and and crank it. Yep. I mentioned about the length. Yep. I feel like the only thing that's the real drawback for me on this record, because I don't have a lot of individual nitpicks about songs. It's just like, there's a song that's five and a half minutes and it could have ended at like four and a half minutes. Yeah. Or 
it's 354 and it should have been 334. And if this was just like 10 minutes shorter, it would be an incredible record. It would be so tight and so diverse and so spot on that it would be I mean it's in the book there's a book called 1001 albums that you have to hear before you die which has like you know Elvis and Frank Sinatra this this album is included in that wow okay so that's a that's pretty high praise but I feel like there's some flabbiness to some of this stuff well yeah I think when you look at this the running times for the songs and for what they're trying to do, you have to keep that in mind, right? They're not trying to be like a, they're trying to push the boundaries, but this is a very much a commercial band, right? Um, I think each one of these songs could benefit from probably a minute being carved off of each song. I found it's interesting with a band like this. I think somebody mentioned in the comments, like wanting to like them more than they did. You know, there was, there was a lot of media, uh, at least from writers. Um, and I think from a logical standpoint, you know, speaking for myself, it checks a lot of the boxes that I like, but I still find myself as I'm listening to the record, you know, fading, um, here and there. So when you break down, well, why is that? Um, I think part of it might be just a little bit long on some of these songs. Some of them have, well, they all have bridges that I'm found myself questioning as I was taking notes of like, why does this bridge need to be here? <laughs> um, sometimes it's just an, a, a passage to get you to the chorus, which is fine. But then, okay, well, it's just, just, just get us back to the chorus then, right? Just do a little quick one bar thing and then get us back to the chorus and get the song wrapped. There's a lot of intros that are unnecessary or just kind of don't grab you. You know, initially yeah. you have to really get into the song to kind of get the essence of what's going on. So I think it's one of those records where it could benefit from just another pass, just to sharpen it up. You know, if you, if you cut roughly a minute off of each song, you're down, you know, somewhere in more of the 40 minute range, which I think this is much more digestible and yeah, a lot more powerful at that running length. what do you think about the, you know, so I felt, you know, just in general, the first half of the record was very strong. The second half, you start to, I felt like I was hearing a lot of ballads and slow songs. Yeah. What was what your take on that? I I definitely noticed. I mean, I think, you know, it's a 12-song record, so you start with track seven, Secretly, which was the song that was on the Cruel Intentions, and that's a really good song. But then you've got Good Things Don't Always Come to You, which is a five-and-a-half-minute-long song. Cheap Honesty is uh, like a mid-tempo. It's fine. Um, you don't follow me down. You got another slow song. Yeah. And this is nothing that is another up tempo song. And then I'm not afraid. So like basically of the back half, half of those are ballads. Yeah. And then I'm not afraid. That's a lot. And those are. Yep. And of those songs, 446. What was the other one? Uh, not, I'm not afraid. Is 448. And good, good things. things is, five is five and a half. Yeah. So those are all those are also the longest songs on the back half of the record. Yeah. It's a lot to, yep. to they could have trimmed either trim the songs or or cut this just cut a song out completely. Cut a song. I think the sequencing is a little weird. So in the first half of the record you get on my hotel TV which is just just blazing lyrically like just savage mm-hmm. you know 
very aggressive song that really pulled me into the record. Uh, Skankhead's the same thing. You know, it's very powerful, riff-based, up-tempo. So you get a lot of, lately, you know, it's track six, which is, you know, a bit more of a pop, kind of almost a Landis Morissette kind of vibe. Yeah. But still, it's got energy and it's got a bouncy feel. It's almost danceable. You know, that's all one through six. And then the second half, we just, it's just a lot of ballads. You know, it's not until, and this is nothing that, which is kind of a bluesy feel shuffle kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and for nothing else, I, it helps at least break up those, those slower songs, um, which I appreciate, but I just have to question, you know, seven through 12 and you know how you, you've got to be able to tighten that up a little bit, either right. cut a song or trim some of these, like I mentioned earlier, trim a lot of these songs down. Yeah. It's just hard to keep, engaged as much as you should be with a band like this i agree yeah it's it's really length for me most of these songs would just like you said benefit from lose 30 to 40 seconds or a minute if needed and just tighten it up because every song they're all good songs they're all well-constructed songs they're all interesting songs but there's just so much slowness on the on the back half that and it's so blatantly uh, constructed that the first half, like you said, is just blazing with a lot of these songs, and then you hit the back half, and it just puts you almost puts you to sleep because yeah. it because of the track listing. So, so I don't know if you needed to like after on my hotel TV, maybe like secretly needed to go there, and you needed to just cool it down for a minute or move up a, a different one, but you needed to like get that vibe going a little bit earlier on the record. Because then it becomes a yep. record of, of two halves. So, and it, it just, it hurts the, you, when you start to, you know, f- drift off and not really pay attention, it definitely happens on the back half. Because also just the, the her lyrical content is more focused and blunt on the first half. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, on my hotel TV, is hits you in the face like a... <laughs> That's just a straight punch to the nose. Right. Uh, which sets a tempo for the record, right? You're thinking, okay, this is going to be intense. And then it, by, you know, you get some peaks and dips, but then when you get to the second half, you're wondering, well, what happened to that band that I heard on track two? Like, right, exactly. And it's not to say any of this material on its own, you know, if you pull out a single song and listen to it, you know, there's a lot of interesting. And lyrically, it's it's still strong. Um, there's a lot of good things going on, but yep. it doesn't hold together as a record in certain spots. Yeah. Which, you know, I think that's my biggest criticism of it. I, I completely agree. Now, you had listened to this this band before. Yeah. And I had read that they, they were not quite as produced. Like, they were still an, like a loud, punky metal band but like some of this extra stuff production wise maybe wasn't present is that true or do you remember i would only say you know just based on memory some of the string and electronic stuff that's on this record was a just a little bit new for me but most for the most part i mean this is what i remember the band sounding like okay you know, the very capable talented polished rock band the the 1990 the 99 flourishes and the higher production budget probably 
brought some things with this record that some of the earlier stuff that I was more familiar with didn't have. But for the most part, it, it didn't surprise me. Gotcha. So in terms of U.S. radio, I can see how, well, some of the stuff would not be played because of lyrical content. Yeah. I mean, that's there's just, a lot. There's a lot of end bombs on this record. Yeah, there are. And um, so I can see that having that being a barrier now secretly, obviously, was a hit because of the soundtrack. It has eight million right now has eight over eight million uh, spins on Spotify. Wow. So, I mean, this clearly this record got heard. I mean, the the first song has two point eight million there. There's definitely like this album got some attention. Yep. You follow me down as two point five million, and that's just Spotify. I don't know what title and Apple Music and sure. other places look like. So, and like I said, this they did sell like millions of copies of their '90s records, but it was mostly outside the U.S. I can see this band having trouble. It, this is a hard sell for I think a, a U.S. audience. I mean, partially because a it's a alternative metal slash punk whatever you want to call them band with a black female lead singer. That's hard to sell to Rip Magazine. And you know what I mean? Well, what's funny is um, I think at least in the U.S., this band was way ahead of its time. Oh, yeah. As I listen to a lot of this now, even setting – I'll get to the image in a second because I I think that was ahead of its time as well. But just musically, I think a lot of this stuff – I kept thinking of like voice reality shows, like competition shows. On some of the, like, I could hear, like, some of this material being used for those, you know, whatever, American Idol or hmm. The Voice or whatever, like, very radio friendly. Some of it, let's say half of this record, you know, ballad, mid tempo y, good melodies, not incredibly hooky, at least in the way they present them, but strong, well written songs uh-huh. that show off vocal talent you know i kept thinking of like i could kind of hear this like in one of those shows and if i can hear it in one of those shows and i maybe could hear it on the radio now you know at least some of the slower stuff well maybe in some ways they were way ahead of their time oh i think they're totally current with like the u.s or at least in the 2000 like i heard when i was listening to this i was hearing like i could hear where like evanescence would get inspiration yeah you know band like that or I could hear, I can definitely hear this compared to some of the stuff that's on like the local hard rock uh, alternative metal station 997, the Blitz here in Columbus. Yeah. Like they definitely play this slightly, you know, they, when they get into that string metal, uh, symphonic metal, not the, yeah, not the yeah, European, yeah. you know, 17 minute long <laughs> double kick, but yeah, just, yeah. you know, whatever the American version of that is that, that is good for radio. But even, you know, there's even parts of this that I'm like, oh, this this is a band that could, could play with Ghost huh? in some ways. I was hearing more of the – I could hear you. I, I hear you. I was hearing like um, – I was almost turning off that part of the band in my mind as I was listening to it, uh, imagining some of these songs without the heavy guitar and just as more pop songs. And I think that's more of where I was hearing how they could be – you know, viable, you know, radio songs now. Gotcha. Yeah. But but I think which is just a testament that this stuff is fairly timeless. Oh, like yeah. This isn't, 
Yes, track one with the the trip hop stuff or whatever is going on there. That definitely feels like 90s. But outside of that, a lot of the rest of the record, to me, I couldn't put a date on it. It's it, it would be hard to say that this was 20 years old. Yeah, I agree. So overall rating on this, Jay, worthy album, better EP, or decent single? It's a worthy album. I mean, there are no tracks on here that I'm turning off or don't like. I think my most honest criticism of it is I just find myself, when I listen to it, fading in and out quite a bit. And that's usually a sign to me that there's just something not quite uh, obviously right about it. So whether it be length, I think they could use just a hook here or there. It's very melodic, but there's only a couple songs in here where it's like, okay, that's a super memorable chorus. You know, some of them are say Charlie Big Potato, the first song, you know, great music bed, but like, where's the hook on that? You know, what's the part of that song that you just really remember? So it's kind of missing that element for mm-hmm. a band that's commercial. But all that said, I still think it's a worthy album. You know, I think it could use a little bit of trimming here and there, but uh, nothing dramatic. I agree with you. I think a, a slight track reordering and find eight to ten minutes on this whole record to cut out. Yeah. And it's a really, really, really strong record. Yep. Right now, it's just it's just a little bit overindulgent with some of the stuff, and it's a little it's top heavy with the heaviness, and on the back end, it's just too mellow. Is this a band that um, do you find yourself maybe? Where, or I guess where, where would you stand on this band being either more progressive and experimental versus more commercial? Like, where would you want them to go based on what you hear on this record? I would be. I would think it'd be cool to hear if they went even further into experimentation. Okay. Uh, as long as she's got something to say. Yeah. Like I don't want it to turn into wizards and. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> well, I mean, I like my, I like a good wizard rock song. Here. <laughs> not, that's not right for this band. Though. No, now it's just not right for this band. So if as long as she is, you know, spitting fire the way she is on some of these songs, then yeah. I would be down for whatever direction they want to go. I I, I do want to check out. So I actually want to check out the newer stuff to see how they what how they dealt with that ten year or twelve year whatever it was uh, break. Yeah, and and see where they went after that when they all separated and then came back together. So we need to thank. Uh, our Patreon voters, and we need to thank uh, who was it, Matt Gorey, who was the one who dumped this into our hopper via the Dig Me Out website at digmeoutpodcast.com. You go to the submit an album link, and you can submit an album. Give us your reason, you know, why you're submitting it, and we'll include it in our posts on social media, and then we'll add it to a future poll. That's how it works. And of course, you can join us at Patreon to vote in these polls at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com for as little as two bucks a month you get the uh you become a member of our union you get the union sticker every month i'm mailing those out first couple weeks of every month got a got a stack of stickers to go out and uh you can join us also at uh, various levels up to and including our uh, steering committee where you can help us pick our round tables 
and vote in our roundtable polls and pick our 80s episodes. So uh, I've been checking out this site called Chartable. So yeah. it lets us like view our rankings on Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. around the world. We're number nine in Sweden for music commentary podcasts. Whoa. So if just a couple people in Sweden would go write a review, we could probably – number one is Rolling Stone magazine. Oh, we can take Rolling Stone. Come on. So, so ahead of us is, is uh, just – I won't name them all, but just a couple. Rolling Stone, New York Times, and Vox are ahead of us. So with just a couple reviews, uh, take them like literally one or two minutes and just click five stars. We could probably jump up uh, a couple spots and a lot more people would know about us. So come on, was, come on, let's make it happen. That was pretty good. Come on, Sweden. I love the helicopters. I'm with you. Let's come make on, this happen. Let's do it. Backyard babies. Let's go. Were they from Sweden too? That's right. Yeah. Oh. See, I know some stuff. If you like what you heard, leave us some positive feedback over at iTunes. Doesn't matter what country you're in, we want to hear yes. from you. So, yeah. uh, the US, where we have a lot more reviews we need. We haven't gotten a review in like a month or two. So, I uh, would really love that. Let's start out 2020 with some reviews. If you haven't written one yet, consider doing so. It only takes a minute. For That's Jay, right. I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode dig me out thanks for listening to support the podcast visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our facebook twitter and instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com because we don't-